All right, please turn with me now in your copy of God's Word to the book of Acts, chapter 11. This morning we'll be reading Luke's account of the establishment of the church in Antioch. Acts chapter 11, when you found your place there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Lord God, as it is our expressed desire to be engaged in the mission of Christ's church in our own place and time, we pray, Lord, as we open uh, our Bibles again to the book of Acts, that you would continue to instruct us and to encourage us in this work. We thank you, Lord God, uh, for the, the riches of this spiritual treasury which is the Word of God, our only rule of faith and practice. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our sermon text today is Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Listen now, Christians, to the Word of God. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So you know from the book of Genesis that when God had created the first man, Adam, and placed him in in the Garden of Eden, he immediately put him to work. Uh, And the work of Adam in paradise was the work of gardening. Genesis 2.15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So Adam was the gardener 
in God's garden of paradise. Uh, and so as gardening is the work of paradise, even though our world has fallen now, it's not too surprising uh, if we should find gardening to be especially uh, delightful work. And I certainly do, especially when the weather is pleasant, as I'm sure it was in Eden. Gardening is delightful work. Well, what is the work of a gardener? Well, a gardener takes, you know, the mysterious seeds of God's creation and finds a place in the earth where he thinks that they will thrive. He digs a little hole and buries the seed, puts some water on it, maybe a little food, and then he stands back to watch and see what happens. And what happens if all goes well? So where that seed was planted by the gardener, you'll begin to see a little green shoot pushing up through the earth by a sort of inner will, um, reaching up towards the sunlight. And what is that little plant? Well, that is life. Uh, and life is a mystery. Uh, it's, it's always been a mystery. It's still a mystery to, to us. We don't really know what it is. Um, we can say something about what life does, right? and by what it does, what distinguishes it from that which is not life. So scientists can do that. They can tell us, oh, life reproduces. But that's not the same thing as saying what life is. They can't tell us. We don't know. So if the question be asked, well, what is life? The best answer is the answer of the theologian, which is, ah, life is a gift of God, a mysterious gift of God. So that's what the, that the gardener sees uh, in the place where he has planted the mysterious seeds of God in the earth. He sees life comes forth. And then when he, he sees that, his work is really just beginning. Uh, and then he enters in to protect that little life and to nurture that life to help it to grow to maturity. And the reward of the gardener's work is what? That in time, um, he will have uh, the pleasure of seeing the mature uh, and beautiful flower of the plant blossom. And then after that, the fruit is born with its sweet wholesomeness to enjoy, which is a rich reward for the labors of the gardener. Those of you who have desk jobs and sit in front of computers all day, you're probably thinking, boy, that sounds like paradise. Uh, and it was. Right? Uh, gardening is, is the work of paradise. So it's interesting then that the language of gardening was early in the history of the church applied to the work of starting uh, and supporting new churches. Uh, we speak of uh, planting churches. It's, it's a metaphor. Uh, we speak of those who, who do that work as church planters, gardeners, basically. And it was the Apostle Paul, it seems, who introduced uh, this metaphor into the vernacular of the church, 1 Corinthians 3.6, with respect to the church in, in Corinth and how it began, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that's where we get this language of church planting. Uh, it's actually from the Apostle Paul. Uh, what does Paul mean? What do we mean when we say that, uh, that, that, that starting churches is, is like planting churches? Well, we mean it's work. There's actually work to be done uh, in starting and sustaining young churches. We mean that it's, it's rewarding work, right? uh, especially when those churches thrive and, 
and bear fruit. And we also mean that it's, it's mysterious work. Which is to say, when we, when we look at what comes of church planting, of the, of the living church, um, that, is the, that is the end of the labor, and then we look at the, the laborer and, and his work, he and his work are not sufficient to account for the living, thriving church. How do you explain it? Well, uh, that's the working of God. That's the divine mystery in the phenomenon of successful church planning. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that's the language of gardening as applied to churches. As far as I can tell, it's a pretty fitting metaphor. So this passage that we're reading today is, is a passage about a church plant. It's Luke's account of, of the planting of the church in a place called Antioch. Um, little information about Antioch. So Antioch is a, was a city in the ancient world uh, that was north of Palestine in the region of Syria. Is that right? Kind of on the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea on the coast there. So today if you were in Palestine, you were heading up the Mediterranean. Just as you entered into Turkey, um, you would find the city of, of Antioch. Um, and uh, this city we know was founded about the year 300 BC by one of Alexander the Great's generals, uh, who was the sort of the founder of the Seleucid Empire, if you know your, uh, your Western civilization. Uh, and so here in, in the book of Acts, of course, it's, uh, it's a good 300, 350 years after that, the, um, the Greek Empire is, is no more. So now this is the Roman Empire, in which we find the city of, uh, of Antioch, though, of course, Greek culture uh, is still very popular in those days. So that's Antioch. Um, and a couple of interesting things related to Luke's account here that we want to note about the ancient city of Antioch. First, um, the city of Antioch had a, a particularly large population of Hellenistic Jews. So a lot of, of Jewish people settled there, uh, and settling there became Hellenistic. That is, they were influenced by Greek culture. So they, they actually spoke Greek, um, and in many ways um, lived as the Greeks did, at least more so uh, than the Jews in Jerusalem. So, um, so these Jews would have been, let's say, more familiar, more comfortable with their Gentile neighbors uh, than the Jews in, uh, in Palestine. Uh, so there was a large population of Hellenistic Jews in Antioch. And then secondly, we also know um, that eventually there developed a large and influential church in Antioch, one of the great churches of the ancient world, uh, along with churches in Jerusalem and Rome and Alexandria and so forth. So uh, a big, um, uh, large, uh, lasting, influential Christian church in Antioch. Sometimes Antioch is referred to as the cradle of Christianity because of what Luke says here in verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So the, the world began to first really discern this distinction between Judaism and Christianity uh, in that church in Antioch. So this is Luke's account then of, of the founding, establishment, planting of the church in Antioch. So what is, what is our interest then, this Haynes Creek Church um, here on the other side of the world in the 21st century, what's our interest in Luke's account of this church plant? Well, 
as we have uh, said repeatedly, uh, our desire is to engage in, in the mission of the church. And we're trying to understand that mission and our place in it as we work through the book of Acts together. And we've seen a number of different things that we might be doing as we engage uh, in the mission of the church. And now one of them that we want to, to particularly note is the work of church planning. That's something that we could potentially find ourselves doing. And in fact, truth is, we are already uh, engaged with a number of church planning efforts, albeit from a distance. Um, we're engaged with a church plan in England through our support of Kevin Bidwell at Sheffield Presbyterian Church. We're engaged in uh, what will become a church plan in Germany through our support of uh, Brian Moore, um, who has gone there. And we're engaged potentially with a church plan in Belgium as well through our support of Lyndon Kleeman. So we, we pray for these men, we pray for these, these works, and we send our financial support. So we're already involved in church planning, and I do want you to, to know that, albeit from a distance. But what I have more in, in mind this morning is the possibility that we could become involved in a church plan, plan more locally, something geographically a lot closer to us. And because of that, we might be able to be more intimately involved um, in a church plant like that. Uh, and so as we're, we're looking here at Luke's account of the, the planning of the Antioch church, we know that the, the work that was, is being described here was the, was the laying of the, the foundation for what became not just a, a church, but a, a, a large, thriving, influential church. And so we want to ask the question, well, well what did these church planners do? Right? And, and what would we be doing if, if we were begin to engage in the work of church planning in our own place and time. So that's what we want to, to note this morning. And I would just say, as we head into this, whatever it is that we, that we find in answer to our questions, I want you to continue to think of the work of church planning as the delightful work of the gardeners of God. Because um, that's what it is. All right, so the first thing that we want to observe in this account is this. Uh, the church plan in Antioch was... God's plan and not the plan of any men. Though in God's plan, men were instrumental in the work of church planning. That's a complicated sentence. Let me say that again. The church plan in Antioch was God's plan, not the plan of any men. Though in God's plan, men were instrumental in the work of church planning. Okay, so what's the story of the Antioch church plan? It's not, you'll notice, this, that a bunch of men got together and decided to plan a church. Uh, and so they came up with a strategy, they did some marketing, found a place that they thought would be a viable uh, place for a church to, to begin, and they recruited a charismatic church planner, and they came up with a vision statement and a logo, and they raised support. Uh, that's not the story. Right? Uh, so how did it begin? Well, according to Luke, it actually began with persecution. It began with persecution in Jerusalem. That's what he mentions in verse 19. And there's a couple of things that are interesting about that. One... Jerusalem is a long way from Antioch. It's, it's 300 miles away. So we're talking about the other side of the United States of America. Um, it's 300 miles away. That's a long way to go on foot. And then secondly, um, when persecution breaks out, it doesn't feel at all like a plan. Uh, rather, it feels like chaos. It feels like your plans are, are coming unraveled. That's what it feels like. And so the point is that when this persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, you'll be pretty sure nobody who's involved in that, who's affected by that, is thinking, 
Oh, great, a church plant in Antioch. Nobody's thinking like that, except God. Because this is actually the event which God uses to to get the pieces moving um, towards Antioch to begin a church plant there. So what we're actually seeing in that persecution is God's plan beginning to enter into action. As God was scattering the Christians in Jerusalem through persecution, He was actually sending those Christians where? Verse 19, as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. To do what? To plant churches in those places. As we think about that, I do want to to stress that a a passage like this uh, in the Bible is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. It describes what happened. But that doesn't necessarily mean that God is, is therefore saying, and this is the only way in which churches can and ought to be planted. Right? So it's descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. So I think we should understand there's nothing wrong with men uh, with the desire to, to be involved in church planting, um, seeing an opportunity and beginning to, to make plans. No problem with that at all. What I would urge is the men who engage in planning church plants need to go about their work humbly. Understand from the beginning to the end, God doesn't need them and their planning, really. He's quite capable of planning churches without anybody's plans but his own. Uh, and I would further add, um, whether they're planning churches or not, we all in the church ought to be aware that God can start a church plant through unexpected circumstances in unexpected uh, places at any time. Uh, and so, so we need to kind of be watching for that. Uh, and when we see that start to happen, then we say, look, God's beginning a church plan. Maybe we could get involved. Maybe we could, could be of help unto that. This is our chance. There's some gardening to be done. Okay? So the first point then, let me repeat it. The church plan in Antioch was God's plan, not the plan of any men. Though in God's plan, men were instrumental in the work of church planning. So move on secondly to, to that. Um, the the work of men in church planning. The second point is this. The God's plan for the church planners in Antioch was first the work of evangelism and then the work of teaching. First the work of evangelism and then the work of teaching. So we start with evangelism. Persecution in Jerusalem. Christians flee. They scatter. As refugees, they wind up in these these places like Antioch. So the, the first thing that we actually see them do um, that we can recognize as um, working towards a church plan is actually preaching the gospel, which is evangelism. So verse 19, we find some of these Christians preaching the word in Antioch. And again, in verse 20, um, some were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the that's how it begins. That's the seed, right? The mysterious seed of the gospel. They're sowing the seed. And the interesting thing about the evangelists in the Antioch church plant is that they do not seem to be um, you know, men who are particularly recognized, set apart by the church as evangelists and sent to Antioch to preach the gospel and start a church plant. You see that sometimes. Right? And there's, there's certainly not, nothing wrong with that. But the impression that we get here is that the, the evangelists uh, that were involved at the, the initial stages of the church plan in Antioch were just those Christians um, who had had to flee their homes in Jerusalem and wound up as refugees 
in the Syrian city of Antioch. They first preached the gospel, verse 19, to the Jews. So if you're a, if you're a, a Jew from Jerusalem and you have to flee your home and now you're a refugee in Syria and you go into the big city of Antioch, what are you looking for? Well, you're looking for other Jews, right? Because that's where you're most likely to find hospitality. These people will, will take you in. So there was a large Jewish population, so that's where they went. And so as they became settled in that community, um, these Jews, being Christians, began to tell their friends about Jesus of Nazareth. They talk about his, his life, his death, his resurrection, open the scriptures with them. This is the Christ. That was, that, that was the evangelism. Uh, and then furthermore, in the providence of God, we also read that there were a couple of men in the mix, Jewish Christians, um, who were actually from Cyprus, which is uh, an island in the Mediterranean, and, and some from Cyrene, which is a city in North Africa, which also had a large Jewish population. And these men are important because they, they themselves are Hellenistic. They speak Greek, they're comfortable with Greeks, and so they began to share the gospel with he says in verse 20, Hellenists, and here that probably means Gentiles. So from the very beginning, the, the Antioch church was a uh, multi-ethnic congregation as it began to form. Both Jews and, and Gentiles, certainly part of the significance of what God was doing here. And so as they're, as they're engaging in evangelism, they're sharing the gospel with their friends, these Jewish uh, Christian refugees to, to Antioch, um, God blessed the seed that they were sowing. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And that's the divine mystery in it all. Because you know very well, it's not like you just go into a city and start preaching the gospel and the church forms. Because you can absolutely go into a city with the best of intentions and preach the gospel, and nobody will listen to you. And nobody's mind will be changed, and nobody's heart will be changed, and you'll be left with pretty much nothing. But why is that? Because what's, what's lacking is the blessing of the Lord. A church is planted where God wants to plant a church. And the time and the place in which God wants to plant it. And when we preach the gospel under those conditions, amazing things happen that we can't even explain. And that's what Luke says happened here. The hand of the Lord was with them. And thus the seed turned into a living church. And the living church began to grow and mature and move towards fruit as many turned to the Lord. Okay, so that's the first work then in church planning. We ask the question, what are we going to do if we engage in church planning? Well, likely, first thing we'll do is preach the gospel. But then secondly, as the church begins to emerge, people believe and turn to the Lord, you get the beginnings of what could become a church, then very soon we have a need for teaching. We have a need for teaching. So verses 25 and 26. It says, then Barnabas, and we'll talk more about Barnabas in a second. And Barnabas departed for Tarsus, seeking Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Okay, so what's going, going on here? Well, so the, the gospel is being preached by these, uh, these, these refugees in the city of Antioch. Uh, people are believing and turning to the Lord. We're beginning to get rapidly... Um, the emergence of what's going to become a church in Antioch. And so what these, all these new converts believe is they, they believe that Jesus is the Christ. And they believe that it's through faith in Him that they will be saved. And so it is that they confess faith in Christ and they're, and they're baptized and received as members of the church. Great. Right? But 
There's still a lot more to learn about being Christian. So these people, all these people, enter into this brand new church as brand new Christians, and they got all kinds of wrong-headed notions that have been in their minds and in their thinking for a long time. And they're still um, living according to the, the ethic of the, the culture, which is the only culture that they've ever known, this Hellenistic culture. And so they hold totally different ethical standards. Okay. So they believe the Gospel. They, we've got a church now. But quickly, we need to now get these Christians together and and teach them, one, how to think rightly about God, that He's not just one of many gods up on Mount Olympus engaged in some kind of, you know, soap opera up there. But they need to to learn about the true living God and all His holy majesty um, and as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, And then we also need to teach them Christian ethics. That, that this God has a temple and the temple is Christ. And there's no place for temple prostitutes in this religion as the true religion. And so forth and so on. Okay? So there's a lot of teaching to be done. It better get done fast. Right? So it follows quickly upon the heels of evangelism. Otherwise, who knows what's going to happen to this church plan? Who knows? It's very vulnerable at this point. Because false teachers can enter in and very quickly lead these, these people astray. I think about, uh, I talked to a, a missionary uh, from India one time. He was involved in church plants there. And he said that the thing that they were dealing with at that particular time was that in that particular part of India, it was pretty much accepted traditional practice for husbands to beat their wives. And they didn't think anything of it. It was just part of their domestic duty. You, know, you take out the trash and you beat your wife. And that's how they thought about it. And so these that they were Christians now, and this church plant had begun. And these guys were having to, to come in and say to them, okay, now, you've got to stop beating your wives. We, Christians don't do that. That's not right. That's not good. So that's the kind of stuff you're talking about. Right? So if you just think about a, a church plant uh, cropping up somewhere around here and people coming out of this society with all their ideas about God and spirituality and all their uh, ethical confusion, which can be quite profound. There's a lot of teaching to be done, right? If we hope for that church plan to succeed. So one of the interesting things about this situation is that while it was just the Christians, the Christian refugees who were the evangelists in the Antioch church plan, when it comes time to, to teach the new converts, Barnabas says, we need to find somebody who's really competent to do this work. And it's not here in Antioch. It's not here among the Christians here. I know a guy. Uh, and so he goes to Tarsus and he finds Saul. If you go back to, to chapter 9, you'll find that when, after Saul's conversion, when he first wound up in Jerusalem and was going to introduce himself to the church, it was Barnabas who brought Saul to the apostles. So he already knew Saul, knew what kind of man he was, um, knew about his, you know, his, his learnedness as a Pharisee and so forth. Uh, and he said, we need Saul. And so he went and got him, and he brought Saul and Saul and Barnabas together, did this work of teaching, and they were engaged in it for a full year. Because there's a lot to teach. And you better start right off the bat. So if we ask the question, in church planning, what are we going to be, be doing? The answer of Acts 11 is evangelism, and then God blesses the work of evangelism. And teaching, and we better go find some men who are competent for that work, and they better be prepared to be there for a while. All right, the third point then, 
as we, we move on. This is the last point this morning. The third point is that God supported the church plant in Antioch through the loving support of the more established church in Jerusalem. God, part of His plan, supported the church plant in Antioch through the loving support of the more established church in Jerusalem. So this church plant in Antioch just kind of happens as these Christians are sharing the gospel uh, with, with those around them. News of what's happening, many returning to the Lord, reaches Jerusalem. Verse 22, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And to their credit, um, the Christians in Jerusalem and the elders there did not fail to see that this concerned them. They didn't say, well, so what? Um, Antioch's a long way from here. God bless them. What does that have to do with us? But their thought was, let's go see about it. Maybe we can help him. And so they take this man, Barnabas, and they sent him from Jerusalem to Antioch to assist in the work. Verse 22. And they sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Verse 24 tells us that Barnabas, uh, Luke says that Barnabas was a good man, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, you know, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have a good man in your church. A man who is full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Uh, that's a man that you're, that you're glad to have as a part of your church. A man who brings a lot to your church. And so I want you to appreciate then to, for the church in Jerusalem, the established church in Jerusalem, to send Barnabas to Antioch, to the church plant in Antioch, was in effect to lose Barnabas. They were giving up a good man. For the sake of this new church plant in Antioch. And that was costly to them. Because Barnabas wasn't just gone for a little while. He was gone for a whole year. And after that year was up. He continued to stay there. And was a companion of the Apostle Paul. In his first missionary journey. So this was a, a costly sacrifice. That the church in Jerusalem made. Barnabas certainly was a great help to the church in Antioch. He encouraged them. As we read. This is great. This is a genuine work of the Lord. Stay in it. Continue in it. I'm sure he advised them. He recruited uh, Saul on their behalf. And he stayed there with Saul and was a teacher in their church. But to the Jerusalem church, this was uh, a great loss. And yet it seems that, that, that the elders in Jerusalem, they didn't even hesitate. They said, go, Barnabas. You're a good man. Um, we've seen that here. We've helped you to mature. The Lord is now calling you to Antioch. Go and, and help him out. There was a time... Uh, here in Loganville, uh, actually close by in Snellville, there was a, uh, a church, another church, and there was, a, there was a good man in that church, a young man who had not too long ago converted to Christianity, and um, he was bright and full of the Holy Spirit, and he was studying, and he was, he was learning, and he was, uh, became an elder uh, in that church, and his wife was a Christian, and they had a lovely family, and, and I can tell you, I mean, that, that man and that family were great encouragement to that church. They were, um, they were really blessed uh, to, to have that family there and, and love them and, uh, and wanted them to stay there. And then, and then one day that young man came to the session and said, I think we can start a church plant in Walton County. And the, and the session, that was me by the way, uh, and the session at Chapel Woods Presbyterian Church did not hesitate. Because we've been praying for this. 
Uh, we've been praying for this. And, and now, if it seemed like this was something that the Lord would do, they said, go. And we'll support you. And we'll support your church. And that's, that's the way it ought to, to work. So church planning cost the Jerusalem church a, a good man. But by their faithful sacrifice, guess what? They gained a loving sister church. And so sometime later, Agabus the prophet comes from Jerusalem to Antioch and he tells them in spirit about a famine that's coming. And uh, the, the cosmopolitan uh, Christians in Antioch who were apparently more uh, financially well off than, uh, than, than those in Jerusalem, uh, they see a way that they can help their brethren. That's what it says. Uh, their brethren down in Jerusalem, most of whom they had never met. And they said, well, as they helped us, we'll help them. And so they raised up financial support uh, and they sent it by Saul and Barnabas uh, to bless this church that had been such a blessing to them. So lost a good man, but gained a sister church. Uh, that's the communion of the saints and that's the way of the Lord. So in closing then, I want to make one distinction quickly. Um, there, there is something that does uh, a sort of work that sort of looks like church planting or looks, looks like gardening, but is not. Um, and that's building sandcastles. So you see somebody building a sandcastle, they're, they're digging in the soil, right? And as they're working in the soil, something begins to rise out of the soil, some sort of an organized thing. So you, you can see that that's sort of similar to, to what you see when a gardener is doing his work. The difference is um, that, that the sandcastle there's no mystery in it. There's no mystery in that at all. Anybody can build a sandcastle. There's no life in it. Uh, it doesn't ever bear fruit. And it's not going to last. When the waves come uh, and reach it as inevitably they will, it will fall. And so my point is there is, I'll leave you to fill in the, uh, the details here, there is something in contemporary church life that looks like church planning and is not. It's, it's just the work of men. Right? Building what men can build in their own strength, uh, in their own ways, most of which they've learned uh, from the world. Um, there's no mystery in it. There's no life in it. It doesn't bear fruit. And it doesn't last. And to be clear, we're not interested in being a part of that. But when it comes to actually planting churches, being gardeners in the garden of God, uh, we're certainly interested in that. I'll give you three scenarios in which we might find ourselves involved in church planning. One, we have some members who travel from quite a distance to be here. Um, it is possible that as those members in their home communities share the gospel with people, meet other Christians, we might see the formation of something like uh, the, the nucleus of a new church plant. And if that were the case, um, then that's something that we could potentially become quite intimately uh, involved in um, if we felt that God was, was calling us to be involved in a church plant like that. The second scenario is uh, we could, there could be a, a PCA church plant close to us. And there, there are a couple that I could think of. We don't have to start it to be involved in it. It, it could start some other way say, through the, the labors of our presbytery, which is involved in, in church planning. And, and we can say, oh, God's doing a, a genuine uh, work of the Spirit here. This is a, a, a 
potentially a, a church plant that, that we can feel good about, and so we can come alongside them and, as a more established church and say, can we help you? Um, what can we do? Uh, and then another possibility is that if you think outside of our denomination, and, and remember that there are true churches outside the PCA, um, so we could become aware of a, another church plan, um, sound, basically sound in its doctrine, uh, where people and pastors seem like uh, good, sincere Christians, and, and we could look at that and we could say, well, let's, let's help them. Let's help these, these brethren. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when our service was canceled and we were all at home on Sunday morning, I, I live-streamed a, uh, a service of PCA Church up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where Alyssa is now attending. And in this community of Lancaster, there's some refugee communities and some of the refugees are here as Christians fleeing persecution. So there was um, actually three churches there that were all using the same building. One was a refugee church from South Asia and the other one was a refugee church from North Africa. And it just so happened on this particular Sunday morning that these three churches came together for a common worship service. Uh, and it was something. It, it was a really long service. Um, and there was a lot of inconvenience in having to do everything in three languages. Right? But, but everybody understood why they were doing it right? and what it is that they were giving thanks to, to God for. Uh, and it was really a, a beautiful thing. Uh, and it's certainly possible to see us in some capacity be involved in something like that. You think, about, think about that. Think about Christians from other parts of the world having to flee their homelands because of persecution, arriving, arriving in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and there's an established PCA church there and it says, can we help you? Would you like to use our building? Occasionally, why don't we worship together? It was beautiful. So perhaps we could get involved in something like that. My charge to you is to be praying for it. That's how it began at Chapel Woods. Uh, and so this is something that we can all be praying for and be prepared if the opportunity presents itself to seize upon it, right? to recognize what God is doing and to ask ourselves, is it time for us to get to the work of God? Shall we pray?